Today's episode of Clip City is brought to you by Remarkably Remote, a new daily microcast from the experts at GoToMeeting, all about making work from home work for you. With indispensable intel on how to stay sane, motivated, and productive at home, we're here to help you in this brave new remote working world. Find us on smart speakers or subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. You can also listen at gotomeeting.com slash tips. That's gotomeeting.com slash tips. Welcome to another episode of the Clip City Podcast. I'm your host, Yovan Buha, the Clippers beat writer for The Athletic. Today, I'm joined by not one, but two special guests. We got Big Waz and Modekiel. How you guys doing today? Great, man. I'm ready I'm to roll. Fantastic. I'm fantastic. <laughs> ready to talk clips. Ready to talk one-on-one basketball. So this was in part inspired by the last dance and a lot of the discussion that's been going on right now. There's been a lot of cross-era analysis, debate, discussion about how different guys would fare in different eras. So we've done different things at The Athletic with the best clipper to wear each jersey number. Uh, We've done a fan survey, a a quiz, kind of going through different clipper historical things. Uh, But it's time we do something head-to-head, a head-to-head tournament, a one-on-one tournament of which clipper player from the last 30 years would win um, a one-on-one tournament. So this idea I actually stole from Mike Vorkanov, uh, our Knicks beat writer. He did this about a month ago with, with the Knicks. Um, so the the rules quickly are only players from 1990, uh, 91 through 2019, 20 are eligible. So that's the past 30 years. Uh, it's a 32-player field, which I split into four, uh, you know, eight-player sections. Uh, the Kawhi Leonard region, the Blake Griffin region, the Elton Brand region, and the Danny Manning region. And the 32 players were de- uh, determined by the highest scoring average for a single season as a Clipper. So I literally just want a basketball reference in order of, okay, you know, Kawhi is the number one seed. Uh, Elton Brand was the, you know, the second, Blake Griffin third, Danny Manning fourth, on and on and on through 32. So quickly, before we dive into the specifics of the matchups, I wanted to give the the opening matchups and, and then kind of go from there. Uh, in the Kawhi region, you have number one, Kawhi Leonard versus number eight, Katino Mobley. Number two, Paul George versus number seven, JJ Redick. Number three, Tobias Harris versus number six, Al Thornton. Number four, Chris Kamen versus number five, Loy Vaught. To me, those matchups are pretty straightforward. The Blake Griffin region, you got number one, Blake, versus number eight, Austin Rivers. To me, that's hilarious that these two got matched up against each other. <laughs> right. Uh, with the video. video, yeah. Yes. I brought that video back in, in, in my piece for The Athletic. Uh, number two, Eric Gordon, versus number seven, Bison Dele. That's how I say it? Dele. Yes, Bryson Dele, formerly known as Brian Williams. Um, number three, Charles Smith, versus number six, Maurice Taylor. I think th- this this is a sneaky first round matchup that I think would actually yeah. be fun. Number four, Jamal Crawford versus number five, Sam Cassell. I was surprised people went very heavy on the Jamal Crawford there, but that's because I, I think don't... Sam I am would uh would would bust out some trash talk, some big balls dancing, and uh, I think he'd make that. A I think he'd win. I think that's yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's a that's a recent <laughs> recency bias there. Like I don't think people remember how good Sam Cassell was at getting buckets. Like yeah, so that was his thing. He was I, an I'm incredible one-on-one player. Like yeah. Jamal Crawford's known for getting by guys and the crossover and the fancy stuff, but like he's not a better he throughout his career, he wasn't a better one-on-one scorer of the basketball than Sam Cassell. It's just not, it's just universally not true. Like it looks cuter and prettier, but he was not a more effective one-on-one player than Sam I am. Yeah, I think one thing you learned in this exercise by looking at the voting was who Clipper fans liked the most. Um, and, and Jamal and Lou Williams were two guys who who fared very well. And while I think on paper they have those one-on-one skill sets that you see them display on a nightly basis, defensively those guys aren't stopping anybody. And if you oh, no. can score, you know, if you could score at a reasonable rate, if you have a decent offensive game, which all thirty-two of these players have. 
I think all 32 guys average 15 or more points a game as a Clipper. Um, you know, you can score on those guys relatively easily, and then you just have to kind of contain them on the other end. But um, we, we can get into that matchup in a second. Uh, just finishing through the the Elton Brand region, got Elton Brand versus Rodney Rogers. Uh, rest in peace. Uh, number two, Corey McGetty versus number seven, Bobby Simmons. Some of the names on this list are funny. Uh, number three, Ron Harper versus number six, Derek Anderson. Number four, Montrez Harrell versus number five, Ken Norman. And then in the Danny Manning region, uh, region uh, number one, Danny Manning versus number eight, Baron Davis. Keep an eye on that matchup. Number two, Lou Williams versus number seven, Lamont Murray. Number three, Daniil Gallinari versus number six, Quinton Richardson. And my personal favorite matchup of the first round, number four, Chris Paul versus number five, Lamar Odom. Uh, any of those matchups stand out to you guys that you want to discuss? Uh, to, to me, I think it's clearly the Chris Paul, Lamar Odom, and Jamal Crawford, Sam Cassell. Yeah, I think we, I mean, the we're all on the same page, I think, with the Crawford and, and Cassell, right? We all think Cassell would win that one. Well, yeah, I do. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah. The Chris Paul, Lamar Odom one's a fun one. Uh, I think that's a hell of a battle right there. Yeah, I would agree. Um, my one quibble, though, is why the hell is Chris Paul a fifth seed or a fourth seed, whatever we got him at? I think that's a little disrespectful to Chris Paul, but you know, <laughs> it, it was purely off of scoring average, so there was no ah, I, I, yeah, 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 not so offensive he, efficiency no, 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 and no, no, offensive no, no. rating. And if it was offensive rating, he'd be the number one seed in in the whole. He has the top offensive rating of all Clipper players ever. So, no, no. If, if this was, if I was setting the seedings, it would probably be Kawhi, Blake, Chris, and Elton. So it, it was close. Uh, but but Chris was actually, yeah, four seed. Um, and people don't think of Chris Paul as this incredibly clutch player, but that's how I've thought of him as throughout the course of his career, right? Like whenever games would get tight, he would stop doing the floor general stuff and start scoring on fools, get to his spot immediately. Um, the mid-rangers, he was, I mean, he's still a great mid-range shooter, but back in the days when he could create space with his handle and his quickness, like, there was no stopping him from getting to his spot. I even think, you know, the, the greatest Clippers series of all time, which is 2015 against San Antonio, seeing as this year was never able to play out. Um, Chris Paul was ridiculous in clutch moments and was unstoppable. I think he even flashed some of that greatness in 2018 um, against the Golden State Warriors in the conference finals back when he was with the Rockets. But traditionally, Yo, Vaughn, when he want, when it's time to become a one-on-one player in the most highly leveraged moments um, and possessions of the game, Chris Paul has been a freaking stone killer. I mean, you're wise. Well, you're just right on. He's a closer. Like, that was one of our things when I was with the Clips. Like, when we got him, it was just like, he's our closer. Like, that's we're giving him the ball, and he's going to win us a bunch of games. And he did. I mean, plain and simple, like, that's just what CP does, and that's what you know, his ability to get to his spot whenever he wanted. And also to finish over guys that were bigger than him is, you know, something that he was pretty solid at and get yep. his shot off whenever he wanted to. Like, I kind of think, you know, that's something that goes a little bit underrated in terms of uh, CP's game. Yeah, I, I think, too, the, the other aspect of this is, to me, Chris Paul is cut from the same cloth as a Michael Jordan or a Kobe Bryant. You know, we don't necessarily always talk about him that way because I, I think he has a a more squeaky clean public image just in terms of like you don't really necessarily hear the same stories about him berating teammates and and doing some of the stuff that Kobe and MJ did, but Chris Paul is one of those, you know, types of guys, one of those guys that I think if you put in this hypothetical tournament, he'd want to win it and, and he would do, you know, we've seen him defend Kevin Durant and, um, you know, just thinking back on his time with the Clippers, like Kevin Durant, Paul George, guys like that, you know, Chris Paul is capable of stepping up and, and getting into guys' legs, getting into their dribble. And I, I really think e- even potentially facing Kawhi Leonard, which we'll, we'll get to that, you know, towards the end of the podcast, um, I think he has a shot against anyone, not just really in this tournament, but, but you know, if there was an all-time NBA tournament. I, I don't think I would pick Chris Paul to win it, but I think he has a shot against anybody just because of his competitiveness. He's a hell of a defender, and, and that's you know kind of a, a part of it that's not really talked about. Like he has an offensive move that is basically unguardable. 
in that, you know, step back, pull up jumper. Um, and, and then he also defensively can check pretty much anyone that's not like Shaq, you know, uh, but I, I would put him up against anybody in this tournament. So, yeah, I, I'm with you guys. Like, I think he beats Lamar Odom, but Lamar is also this 6'10 freak. Right. That That's the, and, and all those things you said, that's what I wanted to get to. Right. It's like Chris Paul is one of the greatest defensive players at his position ever. Like probably the best defensive point guard of his generation. I don't even think there's an argument for anybody else um, realistically, right? Like, I remember, like, Chris Paul, throughout the course of his career, was a defensive player that people thought Rajon Rondo was, right? Like, this dynamic, um, you know, sort of <laughs> jack-of-all-trades, Swiss Army knife, whatever cliche metaphor you want to use, right, for somebody who can, you, can, you can put on a bunch of different type of people. That being said, uh, Lamar Odom presents a bunch of difficulties in a one-on-one spot where, I don't know about you guys, every one-on-one I ever played in, um, there was no shot clock involved. So it's like you give a guy that tall, that long, that skilled with the ball handle enough time to basically – figure out a way to get close enough to the basket to rise up over Chris Paul. Um, and he's calling his own fouls. I, you know, I, I think this is a really good close four or five matchup, guys. No, no, it's it's close. I think CP takes it at the end. I just think the, the tenacity that CP plays with is not something we always saw from Lamar Odom. There's a level of consistency in play that plays a role for me a little bit. And I think you know, as good as Odom is, there are times where he fades in and out. He's not as focused, not as locked in. I think with CP, you know, you guys touched on it. I mean, he can defend those guy- types of guys, you know, and, and you know, I don't know about you, Waz, but my pickup games always started at the top of the key. I didn't, you didn't just to go straight into the post. So, you know, Elo's going to have to try to get down there against CP, who's going to yes, try sir. to find ways to pick the pocket a little bit. Yes, he's going to get deflections here and there, and he's a crafty dude. So, uh, for me, it's close. I think it's. I think this is a fun four or five matchup. Uh, but uh, at the end of the day, man, it's got. To, I think CP takes it. So the the first round in the actual voting, which you know this has been voted on by uh, you know I posted on Twitter, had fans and subscribers vote. Uh, the first round went chalk, except for one matchup, which kind of came out of nowhere. I did not see this happening, but Baron Davis pulled off the 1-8 upset <laughs> over Danny Manning. Um, and to me, that's clearly a recency bias thing. Although it's kind of weird because Baron Davis is not really a beloved figure uh, with Clipper fans. You know, there, there was a, probably his worst basketball, aside from his last couple of years where he was clearly just washed up and, you know, on his way out of the league. The worst basketball of his career happened as a Clipper um, struggled with some weight issues, struggled with just kind of not giving a crap. Um, and, you know, famously was, was taunted by Donald Sterling uh, on the sideline of, of games and stuff. So, Bear, I mean, if, if you're telling me it's Charlotte Hornets, Baron Davis, or Golden State Warriors, Baron Davis, I could see it. But I think Clippers, Baron Davis would not beat Danny Manning, who did, you know, have a knee injury his rookie year, which, which kind of changed his career. But was still a really good player, a guy who made all star teams um, and, and was the, the one seed in this tournament. But Baron Davis has a knack for pulling off, I guess, these 1 8 upsets. Uh, <laughs> what do you guys think about that matchup? I think Danny Manning's never had to defend a guy like Baron. And I think that's really kind of the issues. In a straight, just one on one, I think Baron does pose a lot of problems for a guy like Danny Manning because I don't think he has. It, it, He's coming into the league with a knee injury and, and things like that. So it's not like he kind of lost some of that lateral quickness he had in Kansas and so on. So I kind of think Barron has a chance to to take this one. So I'm not too surprised that uh, people think Barron could take uh, uh, Danny Manning just because I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I just don't think Manning can guard him at the end of the day. I think that's the real challenge there. I don't think he could stay with him in a crossover here and there and then Barron's at the hoop. So for me that's I kind of agree with the vote. Yeah, the only thing I will say is not that Baron Davis is known for his defense mode, but his strength 
that's about his only like defensive asset, right? Like he's never been known as some type of ball hog, some type of guy that's picking up his man full court, being a pest, you know, Pat Beverly style, if you will, right? Like, but he's always been one of the strongest people at his position. And that's like like his lower body strength, like low center of gravity type of stuff. And, you know, even upper body, like he's just really physically strong and always has been, even as a rookie. He was, you know, guys were bouncing right off of him. I think of, you know, other guys in that mode, like Chauncey and Darren Williams, especially, who just like, that was my favorite thing about watching guys trying to guard Darren Williams, just that he would just, he would just bully them and just beat them up. It was, you know, it was incredible. Um, But Baron had some of that to him, and I, I think that heft, that strength would allow him to guard Danny Manning reasonably well. And what Mo said, and and this is what I was going to talk about when a sort of when when people are matched up mismatched positionally on a one on one when it comes to a big and a small you're generally at an advantage if you're in a big in a one on one situation unless that small guy can shoot reliably and Baron Davis jumper was reliable enough that somebody like Danny Manning would have to come out and guard him and that's when he could just dribble past him so I I, I tend to agree with Mo even if you say prime Danny Manning was generally considered, yeah, he's a better player when he was in his prime with the Clippers than, you know, a sort of washed-up version of Barron on the on the Clippers. But um, I just think um, Barron's particular skill set uh, gives him an advantage here. So, Mo, Waz just touched on something I find interesting with these cross matchups. Like, how do you view cross matchups in one-on-one? Because there are some interesting ones. Um, and, you know, I guess like a wing versus a guard that's relatively close. And I think a wing versus a big is also relatively close as as long as the wing has some strength or length. But for these ones where it's like a point guard versus a power forward or a center, who do you give the advantage to? How do you view those types of matchups? See, I kind of go that the guard has the advantage in a one-on-one game kind of thing, just because you know, we start out at the top of the key or half court and you dribble into it. So they have more space in that sense. You know, it's it's hard to just back down somebody from the the three point line, you know, into the, the paint and then go there. So I think there's a little bit of a challenge there for big guys to, to have to deal with that that aspect. So I think guards have a little bit more advantage. And then, as Waz was saying, if they can shoot, it's even harder because then it's just like now they're just going to pull up from. You know, like like we talked about with CP and Lamar, like, you know, he's got three point range. So Lamar has got to be up on him. If he blows by Lamar, you know, that, that opens that door. Right. And then if Lamar hangs back, CP can just pull up from, you know, a mid range jumper and drill that. So I think guards have a little bit more tools than than some of these big men. And we also got to talk a little bit how the game's changed and how some of these big guys didn't have to develop a shot. Right. So, you know, and that's not Danny Manning, like Danny Manning could shoot it pretty decently you know, in the mid range, but like it wasn't such a reliable weapon the way it is now or, or the way we look at it now. So it's interesting in these cross matchups and, and, and cross eras, how this goes. But uh, generally I go in one-on-one matchups, I go guard. So uh, again, that was the only matchup in the first round that was an upset. Everything else went chalk. Looking quickly at the second round, you have Kawhi versus Chris Kamen. I think we know which way that's going to go. Uh, Paul George versus Tobias Harris. I also think that's a fairly one-sided matchup. Um, Elton Brand versus Montrezl Harrell to me was an interesting one because from a build and frame perspective, both guys are pretty similar. You know, that kind of 6'7", 6'8", burly, you know, strong. Both have, I think, 7'3", 7'4", wingspans. Um, Elton Brand was obviously the better player, you know, multi-time All-Star, and, and had that 05-06 season where he was an MVP candidate. Uh, but Montrez Harrell has gotten a lot better. He does, you know, he, he overpowers guys who are bigger and stronger than him somehow, just with you know his the angles he takes on drives and his face-up game. And I think this is one of those matchups that um, you know I, I would favor Brand, but I wouldn't be like completely shocked if if Trez found a way to beat him yeah to me though you know as much as Montrez has a level of craft and skill work to what he's doing like understanding angles and 
you know, he's got some quickness. And, I, 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 like, as much as that's a part of his game, he's mainly powering through guys, right? Like, that's that's how he's getting his buckets. Or he's outquicking guys. Whereas Elton Brand had all of that shit, and he could actually face up and shoot, right? Like, he could actually make a 16-footer, 15-footer consistently, um, and he had the power game down there, and he had the finesse. Like, he had nice footwork, nice touch, all of that stuff. I just think, offensively, he was just so much more a complete player. Um, and, you know, he's physically strong enough to not be overpowered by a Montrez Harrell type. So, to me, he easily has the advantage in that matchup. And that he can do everything Montrez can do, but he can do other things much better. Yeah, this is making for a not amazing podcast because I think we all agree <laughs> on another one, you know, because I'm again, got to find something we disagree on. I'm sure we'll get there, uh, but I'm I'm with you guys like I I don't even think it's that close. I think Elton Brand's just able to do so much more. Yeah, uh, you know, offensively and and defensively. I mean, yep. the big part for me about Trez's game and although he's improved and made a lot of and gotten better at other areas, you know. He's such a guy dependent on, you know, pick and roll and, and, and getting the ball on the move and things like that. This is something where, like, Bran has the advantage because he can go from static, you know, and, and, and just go from there. And then having that ability to shoot, you know, uh, you know from the elbows and, and, and hit a decent 18, 20-footer with ease, I think it's just too much for Trez to, to hold on to, who's also not that great of a defender. So I think that kind of... Uh, just tilts the scales for me towards a uh, brand. That I, I, I'm with you guys. I think that's the the swing factor here is the defense. Like I, I think both guys could theoretically score decently against each other, but Brand was a much better defender. Uh, the the last matchup I found interesting in the second round uh, was one that was very one sided by the voting, but I view it as a much closer matchup, if not. Would actually favor the underdog in Lou Williams versus Danilo Gallinari. Um, so that one went decidedly towards Lou Williams. He got 72% of the vote. Uh, but this is another kind of big little one, but I, I just think Gallo is bigger and was a much just he, he can post you up, he can shoot over you, he can hit step backs, he can hit pull-ups, and while Lou is quicker and would have that kind of quickness advantage, um, he would not be able to stop Gallo, I, I think, at all. And I think Gallo's handle is good enough where it's not like Lou's just going to be stripping him or, or really getting into his dribble. So th- this is another one where I think, you know, I, like some of the offensive exploits kind of get um, favored a little bit too much over like how it would actually play out. Uh, how do you guys view Lou versus Gallo? I'm going Gallo. Like I just think this is it goes exactly the opposite of what I would do normally in a in a, a big versus guard. But this is more of the different era type of big. This is the type of guy that we're talking about who can shoot, who can score, who can drive and and and, and make plays and things like that. I think Lou will give him some problems on the you know when he's got to defend him. I think Lou can get by him and things like that. But at the end of the day. I mean, I just can't picture Lou Williams stopping anybody one-on-one unless I'm playing. Yeah, I think you, all you have to do is imagine Lou Williams bricking a couple of semi-contested 19-footers, right? Um, because we know, like, it's not like he's going to be able to just finish right over this guy at the cup. So it's, it's a matter of, you know, could you envision Lou Williams bricking a couple of 19-20-footers? Yeah. and. You know, Jovan, you watch Gallo enough to know that, like, if he gets in, in that 12, you know, 15-foot range and he can just rise up over a guy like Lou Williams, like, his accuracy is deadly. And that's without just straight up his spot-up game where he's got one of the best jump shots any of us have ever seen, right? So, I, I, again, I, like, as much as I love Lou Williams – I think in a very controlled setting of a one-on-one, like I said, no shot clocks where you give Gallo all the time in the world to set up the exact shot he wants to get against a really small dude who's not known to be like like a Chris Paul to be super pesky and get up in guys' grills 
you know, out to the three-point line, uh, I, I, yo, man, I would have to go with Gallinari as well. Moving on to the quarterfinals, this is where things start to get interesting. It's a lot of matchups with backstory. So you have Kawhi versus PG, Elton Brand versus Corey Maggette, Blake Griffin versus Eric Gordon, and CP3 versus Lou Will. So we just talked about Lou Will. I think we're all in agreement. CP3 would win that uh, relatively easily. But the, the matchup I find very interesting is Elton Brand versus Corey Maggette. These two guys not only played together for most of the decade with the Clippers, they also were teammates at Duke. Uh, so these two probably know each other's games as well as you know any matchup in this tournament. Um, and I, I view it, in, you know, it is kind of it's a wing versus a big, so it's a little bit different. Both guys are similar height-wise. Uh, Brand obviously is you know bigger in terms of his frame, but Maggette was a master at driving to the basket. Um, you know, he, he was a very strong, powerful wing. I think he was listed at 225. You know, he had big biceps, was a big, strong kind of power wing. Um, I like, so I think from a defensive perspective, he is well equipped to match up with Elton Brand, at, at least as much as any wing in this tournament, maybe outside of Kawhi. Um, how do you guys view Elton versus Corey and sort of almost both guys kind of using a power game against each other? First, I want to say, Yovan, you was probably still getting money from the two fairy in 19... What, what year was that when they lost, Mo? 98 or 99? Uh, 98. I, I'll look it up. You, you yeah. go ahead and, and... Anyway, that Duke team was special. It was a special team. I think they went into the championship game 35-1 and one or something crazy like that, where back in those days, it was insane to go that long without a loss, right? Um, they were insanely good. William Avery, Trajan Langdon, Corey Maggette. Um, I'm pretty sure Battier was on that team. Uh, Elton Brand. It was just, the team was stacked, loaded. They killed everybody all season long. Um, hated that team, obviously. I was so happy when UConn beat them in the, in the um, championship game, the freaking travel on Trajan Langdon. It was, it's one of my greatest sports memories because, Mo and Jovan, as y'all know, I'm a, I'm a Nets, excuse me, a Mets and a Jets fan. So I don't actually get a lot of joy from my actual team. Most of my joy comes from watching <laughs> teams that I hate lose, right? Like wow. 18 and 1 and things of that nature. So like this Duke loss was one of my favorite, favorite college basketball memories of my life. And, you know, the other thing about that team that's special is Corey McGetty's the first Duke player that I ever liked, ever. He's the first Duke player. I was like, yo, there's something about this kid. Like, he's not like the ones who came before. And, you know, the proof is in the pudding. Like, he was their first one-and-done guy. Um, he was just like a crazy acrobatic high Like He just didn't fit the mold of Duke players that all came before him. And so he was just a really special guy. Like, all of that preamble is to say – um, I think Elton Brand would have kicked his ass in this game. <laughs> I just think, I just think again, Courtney Getty, not known for his outside shot, he would have to be taking it inside. And I don't know that he would have been able to outmuscle, outstrength, and just finish over a guy like you, like you said, seven foot three wingspan of Elton Brand. Like he's only, he was only like six, seven, six, eight, but he extremely long arms, reasonably quick feet before the injuries robbed him of his quickness. And so one-on-one, -on -one, I have no problem with him. And, you know, close quarters down low, um, guarding Corey Maggette. And I just think the craft, the strength, uh, he's, he would be too much for Corey Maggette down low. Uh, first off, it was the 99 year. So it was 98-99. Yep. And they had two losses. They lost, obviously, to UConn in the chip. Do you yeah. remember who they lost to? The in second their loss? I Shit. It wasn't the ACC. It was, I know UConn only had like two or three losses too. And one of them lost to Miami. But I don't remember. I it don't was, remember. They, they lost to the Kenyon Martin Cincinnati. Wow. <laughs> wow. I didn't remember that. Maybe who was, on, who was the point goal? Was that the when they had the little short ball guy, Logan, I think his name was? Yeah, yeah. I think so. so oh, that, my goodness. Classic that, college basketball. College basketball is a joke now. It's terrible. It's like one of the worst products in all of sports <laughs> now. 
But back in those days, it was legitimately good. And the funny thing is, Mo, you were actually one of the people to explain this to me. Like, yo, these guys don't coach anymore. Like, the job is literally recruiting kids. They don't coach the teams. Like, these teams aren't coaching. But, like, that, like that Duke team, that UConn team was just incredibly fun to watch. Yes, totally agree. Now, to this question, though. I disagree with you, Waz. Mm, I think nice. Corey Maggette gets the win here. And the reason why is Ooh. I think, you know, when you talk about the, you know, whether he'd be able to finish over Brand, I mean, he'd be dunking on EB. Like, it wouldn't Ooh. even be – he would Ooh. be able to – he had a ridiculous vert. You know, Corey could get up. And then on top of it, he has a size. And, I mean, he's, he's so – he's big and strong himself. Like he's actually able to hold up on Brand's – uh, post up. So I really kind of look at it. I think it's a close game, but I give the edge to Corey. Now I know that the inability to shoot is an issue, but I still think he can kind of get by brand a bit. And even if they meet at the rim, I think, you know, it's like uh flight school said in the uh, white man can't jump, man. He's going to the seventh floor and going to leave EB at the third. <sighs> it, it's tough. Like I, I could see it either way um, because Corey Corey's one of those players I think was a little bit ahead of his time in terms of like he got to the free throw line a bunch and, and was not at Harden level, but, you know, would be right there below him as good as anybody else in the league, you know, for a, a good majority of the 2000s was in that like seven to nine free throw range um, a, a night. And I, I do think he had a special ability to get into the paint, finish through contact, uh, draw contact. I think he he. Uh, obviously, you're not going to foul out one on one, but um, he he would probably get fouled a lot. But I would I would probably pick EB. But I do think this this was a close one. This is one where these two guys would know each other's moves. You know, every move, every counter. Uh, I think it'd be interesting. Kawhi versus PG. Uh, this was not close at all. It was ninety percent Kawhi, ten percent PG. But <laughs> actually, this would be like relatively close. Like I, I would still pick Kawhi, um, but. Like people, uh, th- there's this notion with Clipper fans that Paul George is is not washed up, but like he just isn't the same. And I, I think he, you know, he has struggled with injuries all season. And if you're getting this version of him, yeah, Kawhi is clearly the better player. But Paul George is really, really good, and he, he's a two way guy. He's someone that you know defensively with his length can cause problems. And I, I think he's probably the best defensive matchup against Kawhi in this tournament. Um, do you guys think this is close at all, or, or do you see it as kind of how the voting was, where it's it's very clearly Kawhi Leonard? I don't know if it's 90-10 kind of uh, I don't disparity. think if they play 100 one-on-ones, Mo, that Kawhi Leonard wins 90 times. Yeah, like I just don't think – I think that's a bit absurd. I think it's probably closer to like, you know, 65-35 Kawhi. I just think and, – and it's not even as much a shot on – uh, Paul George, as much as it's just Kawhi's just that much better, you know, and Kawhi's game is built for one on one hoops. I know that people look at him a lot and think Spurs, you know, especially during his Spurs run, that he was a uh, pass, pass kind of system guy and all of that stuff. And I think, you know, if you watch closely, you really see that, you know, he had a tendency to break the offense and and go one on one. And then we saw it in Toronto and then we saw it. We all saw it up close this year. So I think, you know, he has a better one-on-one game. So for me, it's Kawhi. It's just probably not the disparity in which the fan vote had it. Yeah, obviously I, I, I go Kawhi here. But I think for me, the problem with the question is that we have to go based off of what Paul George has shown um, this season with the Clippers, right? In very limited yeah. action. I think the guy that I saw in... To what year was that? To his last year with the Pacers, when they lost to LeBron and them um, in the playoffs, that dude that I saw was at moments you were like, wow, this guy is playing just as well as LeBron James is right now, right? And I think that guy is somebody, you know, who would give, who could give Kawhi Leonard all that he could handle, right? I think the guy... Before the shoulder injury last season in Oklahoma City, where by, you know, early February, late January, he was on everybody's MVP shortlist. 
that guy to me would give anybody fits. But, you know, the dude that we've seen this season, by the rules of the game, he ain't beating Kawhi Leonard one-on-one. Yeah, I mean, I think he he's had moments this year where, you know, they both had a game in Minnesota where they combined for 88 points, PG at 46, Kawhi at 42. I think it was the most teammates had scored together since Russ and KD. Um, and he had the first stretch when he, he returned from injury where I think he shot like 70-something percent over his first like two, three, four games. Um, so he's had these like moments of where you see the old PG. He just hasn't been that consistently. So that's where it's kind of interesting. Like if you gave me that version, I think that guy could push Kawhi and it's like a 11-9, 11-10 game if they were playing hypothetically to 11. But the, you know, the version we've seen consistently, that's maybe like an 11 to five or something. Um, so moving to the semifinals and then the finals, uh, we have Kawhi Leonard versus Elton Brand and everyone's favorite matchup, Blake Griffin versus Chris Paul. Uh, let's start with Kawhi versus EB. We, we know <laughs> how you guys view EB based on the, the last matchup. This is kind of taking it to a different level where obviously Kawhi is a much better player than Corey Maggette. Um yeah. Does Elton Brand have a chance at all? No. Or is this just... No. Okay. <laughs> no. He's getting, he's getting worked. And the, problem, <laughs> and the problem is, like, Kawhi is this incredible offensive wing, and he's not some slight dude. He's the most yoked wing in the league, and look, LeBron is super yoked, and yes, we get that, and he's been known for that essentially since we watched him in high school. It's like, there's no way this kid is 17 years old, right? But Kawhi's right there. I don't think people, like, if you haven't seen Kawhi in person, it's hard to get an understanding for how, like, jacked this dude is. And then, you, and then when you watch it on the court, where dudes are just flying off of him, just bouncing off of his body because he's so strong. Um, and and he just he's immovable. Even with the ball in his hands, you can't move him. Like you put your hands on him and try to get him to go in a certain direction, it's not happening for you. Um, he is just so strong with the ball and on defense. Just like you know, defensively, I don't think he has a, that much of a problem with Elton Brand at all. Because you know, most people think he's the best defensive player since Scottie Pippen, and I don't think you would find much arguments there. Um, and offensively, he's just going to work this dude. The handle, the jumper, the strength. It's just, it, you're done, Elton Brand. Go home to your family. I mean, there's not much else to add. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> I said it, I mean. Like, dude, no, don't you, were you, were you, you were at Clippers Media Day, right? No, I wasn't. But, oh. I, but I've seen Kawhi up close enough to know it. Like, yo, dude, he's. That was the first time I ever saw him, like, up close that way and he's sitting on the freaking podium with his jersey and i'm like yo this guy is freaking huge bro yeah like it's not it's 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 not a it's not much of a contest and i it'd be listen this was a great run from elton brand i thought he should have lost last round but it's a (laughs) but it's, it's it's a uh a good run there. It was a lovely Cinderella story, but sometimes, man, clock strikes midnight, dude. Like, there's no way he's beating Kawhi. Well, that brings up our next matchup, which I think really puts this whole guard versus big thing yep. to the test. And on top of that, you have the added, you know, tension between these two. Uh, you know, th- this would certainly be the most heated matchup in, in the entire tournament. Um, you know, two guys who did not see eye to eye during their time together with the Clippers. They've both talked about it. You know, the, the, all you had to do was watch that Clippers Rockets game. You know, the 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 tunnel gate, the the return to Staples. That um, just to kind of see the edge between Chris and Blake, and the voting actually reflected this. This was the closest matchup. Chris Paul won fifty point two percent. To forty nine point eight percent, so a zero point four percent difference between the two. It was fewer than ten votes decided this uh, in favor of Chris. How do you guys view this matchup? I'll let Mo go first. Yeah, this is a tough one because there is first off, it'd be freaking so much fun to watch. Um, <laughs> just the animosity and the the tension there and everything that's built up over the years, you know. 
Blake has the size, the the ability to post up. But again, I think that goes to, you know, CP being stronger than most people realize, you know, and able to kind of withstand a little bit of, of Blake's post up game. I kind of give the edge to CP just again. I don't know how well Blake would be able to stay with Chris. And on top of it, I think the emotions are more likely to get to Blake than they are to Chris. And I think that's a key element here. And I think that's where the tension kind of plays in a bit. I think Blake's going to want it so bad that he's going to overdo it on things. And and I think that's going to lead to issues. You know, if he misses a bunny, it's going to be start to compound for him. And I think CP's got a little bit more of a calmer, cool collective than Blake. Not not by much, but a little bit better at it. And I think he's going to stay in control. And I think he's just going to be able to, to make uh, Blake work there. Uh, a bit harder and again you know Blake's never been known to be a great defender himself so it's it's going to be a challenge for him staying with the guard so for me I'm I'm going to go CP but it is close yeah see this is where our biases come into play like I just think in this matchup Mo mentioned with the Corey Maggetti Elton Brand that Corey would be finishing over Elton Brand just dunking on his head like a, a prime peak athleticism Blake Griffin and we know Blake Griffin as somebody who had great ball handling for his position. Like, he's not some big stiff that doesn't have any ball skills. Ball skills, strength, athleticism. I just think in a one-on-one matchup with a guy who's six foot one, he's, go- he's going to find a way to get really <laughs> close to the basket, and he's going to score every freaking time. Um, yes, Mo did mention he's not the best defensive player, but again, um, the idea that his job would be to get Chris Paul to maybe miss a few jumpers. I like his ability to get his ass in the paint with his strength and athleticism and ball skills and and convert at a higher rate than Chris Paul's going to make jump shots. That's just to me, that's always going to be my bias. Right. Like the idea that a big guy can finish over a small guy at a higher percentage close to the basket than Chris Paul shooting jumpers over him. Um, and to me, that's, that, that would be the difference in the game. Yeah. To, I mean, Mo, you just, you know, we just did the, the, the pod the other week about Clippers Rockets game six and that 2015 era Blake was probably peak Blake overall. Like that was when he finished third in MVP voting. People were talking about him as the third or fourth best player in the league. Um, and that guy was just a bulldozer. And, you know, obviously he'd been doing that for like multiple years, but uh, you did see in transition his ball handling, his ability to navigate against two or three defenders and, you know, guards and wings and, um, you know, not just, you know, big men trying to check him on the perimeter. Um, it, it just, I almost feel like this game would need a ref because. <laughs> oh, it would be a fight or like, two. I mean, there's definitely punches. I think it would, it would just end in them fighting because. <laughs> Like, you know, both of them would be petty as hell calling fouls. Um, right. And, you know, Chris would foul the shit out of Blake on basically every possession. Uh, so I'm kind of with Waz a, a little bit where I just think Blake would overpower him on, you know, any time he had the ball. At the same time, I don't love the thought of Blake trying to check Chris. Like, I, I think... If you're getting maybe earlier in his Clipper tenure, Chris, who's a little bit quicker than the later Chris, um, who was a little bit stockier, that Chris was, was you know, it was post knee surgery, but he just was was so fast with the ball, um, so crafty. You know, he, he how many times have we seen him hit that pull up jumper over like Rudy Gobert or, or someone right. who's a legit seven footer? Now doing that against a six nine, six foot ten Blake Griffin, like you think he'd be able to do that? And again, uh, I do agree with Mo in that, you know, from a mentality standpoint, I, I think Chris would have the edge over Blake. Uh, this one would be tough for me. Like it really would. It's a coin flip. Um, I might go Chris. Like at the like, I, I kind of agree with with the the vote. Like it's a 0.4 percent difference, but um, I, I do think Chris is mentally stronger. And you you also going back to that game six, like you saw Blake completely collapse. Uh, in that fourth quarter, and that was a little bit of a trend for Blake as a Clipper. Um, I think Chris is, is the better closer, but it would not surprise me if Blake just came out and kicked his ass and won like eleven to four. Like he has that potential with, with how physically dominant he was. For me, if they played ten games, 
it goes five out of five. Like they, mm. I think it, it's that. That's how close it is. It is tight. And, and then we have the the championship, uh, which was Kawhi Leonard versus Chris Paul. We could also do a, a hypothetical of Kawhi versus Blake Griffin. Um, how, how do you guys view those two matchups? And and do either you know does either guy give Kawhi any issue, or is it still just Kawhi steamrolling everybody? Was mm, I think Blake is a better matchup because I think again he's actually he can like strength on strength. I think he can actually outpower uh, Kawhi Leonard offensively because you know that's what he was doing against centers. You know, three hundred pound dudes in the NBA. That's what he was doing, doing um doing that against. So I think he he would be more easily able to get his shit off against uh, Kawhi Leonard. Chris Paul, I think one on one. I think Kawhi just with the length, with the strength, with the just being able to just bother him, the white on rice ability. I just think defensively, he's draping that dude in a way that nobody else can. And offensively, yeah, like as great as Chris Paul is, he's just too freaking small to bother anything that Kawhi's doing. Um, and and even defensively, I'd rather put a Blake Griffin on Kawhi than Chris Paul. I just I just think. The strength factor there is so easy for for Kawhi there, where he's just muscling the guy, getting to within seven feet of the basket and rising over this dude. So um, I think Kawhi obviously wins either matchup, but I do think Blake is a much better matchup there. I agree with Waz across the board. I just think, you know, Blake and Kawhi, its its strength is even up at at the very least. Um, you know, and and with. Kawhi having to play against CP, like he's just going to smother Chris and he has the ability to stay with him really across the board. I mean, we've seen Kawhi get beat by guards and recover and just swat them at the rim. And that's something I think you'd see a few times with Chris. I think, you know, Blake would be a better matchup as well as said, but really at the end of the day, neither of them can compete with Kawhi just because he's going to be able to take them, you know, he's going to be able to beat them both from the outside. And I think he's going to be able to take them both on the inside. So. You know, at the end of the day, it's just too much. And they don't, this is just how damn good Kawhi is. And it's not so much a shot on those guys. You know, if Chris was 6'5 or 6'6, it's different, but he's 6'1. It's not, you know, Kawhi's going to be able to get a shot off over him at any time. And I think it's just, you know, too much there. And then Kawhi is probably going to win, win our tournament here. All right, I'm, I'm with you guys. I think seeing Kawhi this season match up with AD. Uh, kind of gives you a preview of how he would have matched up with Blake. I mean, he has defended Blake, obviously, but um, just specifically as a Clipper, like he's done a pretty good job against AD. And, and AD and Blake are different players, uh, but if anything, AD is more you know doesn't have the same, I guess, raw athleticism necessarily. He's more you know length and kind of more that KG body type, um, you know, where Blake was more power and just kind of vertical and stuff. But uh, I, I do think Kawhi would. Match up fine defensively against either guy. I do think, like, again, going back to that OKC uh, Clippers series in 2014, like, Chris was able to do a pretty good job against KD. You saw that even a little bit at times in the postseason um, in, in some of those Rockets-Warriors matchups. He's not going to shut down Kawhi Leonard, but I do think at his peak, he can get into your dribble as well as anybody, um, you know, particularly from, like, a backcourt position. So I, I do think there's something to that, that, that maybe he could bother Kawhi a little bit, but Kawhi wins this. I, I think the, the fans got it right. Um, any final thoughts before we wrap up here? Um, no, not really. I, I thought this was really fun, though. Just thinking about these guys in the, in the concept of a one-on-one. I'm somebody who's been retired from hoop for so long, let alone retired from playing somebody like one-on-one and the trash talk that goes in, how freaking tiring it is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like you get so damn tired from it. Um, it just reminds me of just my younger days, back when I had a vert, back when I had quickness, back when <laughs> my back didn't lock up on me after running for just a mile and a half <laughs> like it does now. Um, it just brought me back to those days as a, as a former hooper. I mean, I'm just happy DeAndre Jordan wasn't on the list because then I'd have to tell the story of when I beat him in a one-on-one game. Oh, no. <laughs> and, and, and he would have to lose in the first round because if you can't beat me, you can't really beat any of the other guys. 
okay. Well, that is it. Um, thank you guys both for hopping on. I appreciate it as always. Uh, where can people find you on social media? Waz, we'll let you go first because I know you got to get out of here. Um, B-I-G-W-O-S, Big Waz on every single social media platform, Snapchat, Twitter, uh, Instagram, of course. Um, make sure you subscribe to Hoops Adjacent, the podcast with me and Hall of Famer, David Aldridge. Of course, the Basket Buds on the Back to Back Network. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, Moe Dekeel, M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L underscore NBA. Uh, obviously, you don't have to spell underscore. If you do, that's not really going to work out for well for you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, uh, You can find me on Brody and the Beard on the Athletic Podcast Network talking about the Houston Rockets, Nerder She Wrote. Uh, I have words written for Bleacher Report. Uh, I'm basically all over the place. Just follow me on Twitter and then you can find me. Well, thank you, Mo. Uh, Waz just dipped out. But uh, as always, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Yovan Buha. It's at J-O-V-A-N-B-U-H-A. I will be back next week with a special podcast on the Clippers' new documentary on Quibi, Blackballed, which deals with the Donald Sterling saga. Those crazy five days in 2014 oh, uh, that changed. <laughs> the Mo's well aware of that that changed the the Clippers franchise forever, uh, and really the the NBA at large. Uh, so be on the lookout for that. And if you have not subscribed to the Athletic, you can do so at theathletic.com/slash/clipcity to help out this podcast and to help out. Uh, myself to help out the athletic Uh, so do so if you have not already thank you and i will talk to you next week 